0: Brandon is not here today, um, be praying for the Gary family as a whole. On uh, on Monday, uh, Brandon, Brad, Lacey's dad, Jerry Gary's husband, uh, went to be with the Lord, and, uh, and we're going to pray over them at the end of this. Man, it's really hard to leave worship and then come to this. Um, we're going to do this, though so we finish up our malachi series uh today uh with the pseudo worshiper and real quick i want to i just want to make sure i set the table maybe you've maybe you've been a part of the malachi series maybe you haven't uh maybe you've missed it and so i just want to set the table a little bit just so we understand what malachi uh, is about basically malachi is about six disputations right six disputes that uh, that are, are talked about amongst the people amongst the jews and I want to talk about those for just a second to set the table number one The first dispute malachi defends god's love for israel the proper response to his love is con- Covenantal obedience and sincere worship. So malachi it through through god's word as a messenger is coming in and saying hey, listen People of israel. I we need to recover uh, what obedient covenantal worship looks like because at the time they weren't living that. It's, it's the reason that the, the series is called Pseudo-Worshipper because it's giving God our almost best. The second one that was covered, and Brandon has covered these, but I just want to make sure I set the table. Malachi exposes offenses related to worship and criticizes the priests for allowing them. That was the second dispute. The third one, Malachi condemns marriage to an unbeliever as unfaithfulness to Israel's covenant with God. He also condemns unjust divorce as a violation of the marriage covenant between husband and wife to which the Lord is witness. Now all three of these disputes take us back to Mosaic law. So through Malachi, what what he's doing, what God is doing is he's saying, listen, some of us, and, and obviously this is not just for the Jews, this is for all of us this morning, need to take a step back and look. At what God has called us to do Some of us need to set the table there first Before we look ahead We need to look first At at what God has called us to do Right, here we are A little over 400 years before Jesus would come So you could tell there is definitely A need to to reset the table uh, For what Pursuing God looks like That's the first three disputes The fourth one, Malachi promises that God Will demonstrate his justice he will do so when the messenger of the covenant comes to judge the wicked and purifies people. So now we start to look forward. We start to look forward at what that looks like. Malachi returns, the fifth one. Malachi returns to the subject of Israel's wicked offerings. This is what was talked about last week. The difficulties that people are experiencing are punishment for their sin. Bag talked about this last week in Malachi, and then the sixth one we're going to talk about today, Malachi assures the people that evildoers who seem to escape divine justice will be judged, and the Lord will deliver his people. Okay, so the fact is, Jewish people have had a reason for triumph and celebration up to this point, uh, but because of sin, because of greed, because of complacency, things that we can all see in our, in our stories today, uh, they've been run through the ringer a little bit. Being attacked from surrounding nations, captivity in Babylon, Persian rule, and so much more. And now they've been allowed to come back. So now as we're looking at the time of Malachi, they've been allowed to come back home and pick up the pieces. Some hundred years later. From being in Babylonian captivity. And the temple, at this point, the temple's been rebuilt. They were allowed to come back home. They rebuilt the temple uh, and all the people were ready. Like as soon as that that last stone got covered for the, for the temple, everybody would just sat in anticipation, waiting for the Messiah uh, to come. And at that point, after the temple was built, nothing happened. And is called by God to prophesy to the Jews of where they've come from and also again where they are going. So we look at this sixth and final dispute this morning in Malachi three. Uh, chapter 3 and 4 and, and i'm about to start unpacking our passage today And if you don't have a bible and you need one uh, Raise your hand and, and we will have someone run a bible to you uh, But we're looking at malachi three thirteen 13 uh, through chapter 4 verse 6 And so if you have your bibles, please open up there uh, As we'll unpack this uh, together So this first part malachi 3 uh, starting 13 God says this your words have been hard against me says the lord But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, this is God talking to his children. You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts and now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. So this is God uh, basically looking at Jews and saying, hey, here is what I've heard you say. Basically, it's useless to serve your God. What's the point of even keeping your word or the law of Moses when we look around and evildoers are prospering and succeeding in life? So God just kind of lays it out there and says, here's what you've been saying. I've heard you. It it makes me think, um, what if our complaints, and I I want you to think about your story the words that have come into your, out of your mouth, the thoughts that have hit your mind. What if our complaints against God were written out on paper? As you look at your stories, what if? What if our complaints against God were written out on paper? It, it makes me think about some of the complaints that I've had in my life and how uncomfortable it would be if God, before I entered into, hopefully, before I entered into the gates of heaven... Uh, Jesus walks out like he squeezes out of the gate because he wants, he's not letting me in yet. And he closes the gate behind him and he walks up to me and he says, hey, let's chat. Before we go in, or before we move from this place right now that we're talking, you had some questions, some criticisms I'd like to explore. I would, just put yourself in that boat for a second that before the gates of heaven, you are standing there waiting, um, just patient because we're all patient in heaven right uh and and he comes out jesus comes out and says hey i want to talk about your gripes let's look at those for a second and and, and so it looks like here and, and he's looking at me in this situation i'm not going to call out your gripes that might be awkward for us but it looks here uh, that you made a comment uh, and you said this god if you would just let me, let me make a little bit more money things would be right Jesus then takes his glasses off. And they're not correction lenses because he doesn't need correction. And he puts the temple in his mouth. I didn't know it was called the temple. I had to literally research that for this lesson today. He puts the temple in his mouth and he says, elaborate on that. And he looks at me and says, let's explore that. You believe that you need more money for everything to be right. You made that statement. Yes, I have made that statement. Let's explore that. And he looks at me and he just waits. We've done this with our kids, right? where we've said something or waiting for them to answer and they understand in their mind whatever they say is going to be a rough one. Uh, It's going to be a rough response. So I fumble over my words. I find a way to say I was completely wrong. And then he says, Okay, well how about this one? Uh, You said this. Seriously, God, could you make today any worse? And he looks at me and he says, Enlighten me. And again, I stand there like, before the gates of heaven chewing on the words god could you make today any worse he doesn't even have to he doesn't even have to talk about the cross with me he doesn't have to I sit there in silence and he says okay okay what about when you said this god i'm so over covid right now you got to do something about this it's getting a little old this is ridiculous and in this moment, I can imagine my heart just sinking. Because we just sang a song that says, great is your faithfulness to me. And here we are exploring my gripes and complaints. And this is what God is doing right now in this first part of Malachi. I don't believe that God to this date has ever given me the ability. He might one day, but he hasn't yet at the gift of prophecy. I, I, I honestly look at prophets like... Jeremiah, Isaiah, uh, Malachi, Zechariah, and, and I feel frustrated for them as I'm reading. Because looking at it, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. looking at it, I'm like, why don't they just listen? Why don't they just listen? Because they're saying everything that God's showing them today, it's it's spot on, and we get consumed by the idea that we believe we're good to go, and there's really no problem. Man, I... My, my, my stubbornness, my pride has been my, my weakness in this, that I've had plenty of, of people, uh, my wife leads the charge, in letting me know about my stubbornness, right? Uh, and and internally, I'm like, what? We're, everything's good. She's like, wait, I just want to show you what I'm saying. There's no point. We're golden. We're good. And I see the the prophets trying to do this with people, with a follower, with Jews, and saying, hey, listen, I need you to understand something. This is what God is calling me to tell you, and there's some changes you need to make in your life. But again, my agenda, my heart, my struggles gets in the way of that. It reminds me, there's this video, it's been out there for a while, some of you have seen it, and as soon as you see it, you're going to be like, yeah, I know that video, I've seen that a million times. Uh, but this video, for me, like, explains exactly what I'm talking about here, as, as we are really good at saying everything is is fine right so check out this video if it if it comes up it will i believe it uh we're gonna start it over it's got to be unmuted and sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and i can just feel it like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most, is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail out. See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like there's this achy, I don't know what it is, and I'm not sleeping very well at all, and all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just. Don't. Try to see things my way. I have to keep on So, this guy, Jason Headley, puts this video out there. And for me, it, it's, it's a clear picture of where we're at, right? The, the guy is playing the role of the prophet. And then I see this woman playing the role of humanity. And if we, if we really want to get real with this and look at this today, the guy is playing the role of the written word and the Holy Spirit, and the woman is playing the role of you and I. We have everything that we need in front of us in order to not be a complacent pseudo-worshipper. And instead of, of, of trying to run away from the awkwardness uh, and of this exposure, I, I want us, I want you and I to lean into this and ask the Holy Spirit's guidance as we, as we navigate through it. My money says that at some point in your life, you have had the thoughts like, you've had thoughts like these, and you've held God responsible for it. If you'd only do things your way, then you would never have a complaint in the first place. Now, let's just forget the fact that having it your way could possibly be the worst thing ever for you. I desperately wanted to be a pilot in the Marine Corps. If I had gotten what I wanted, I would be so far away from Jesus right now. Because in my Marine Corps days, I was the furthest away from Jesus. And I did not know that at the time. It's just what I wanted. So the argument that, that the Jews are making that, that God is calling out is, what's the use in living this way according to these standards if the rest of the world is just going to get ahead by not playing by the rules? I remember doing this. I, I've done this before. I, I look at other people who aren't pursuing God, and I see great things happening, and I'm like bitter. I'm like, what? Seems like they got it all together. God, where are you at on this? I'm still trying to make more money here. Right? And that's where, that's where my closed-minded mentality gets me. As a believer, this is where we need to understand a very important perspective. You will always be incomplete if you're doubting that God is the very best. You will always feel incomplete if you doubt that God is the very best. I will always feel incomplete if I doubt that God is the very best for me. What God reminded us of last week, and we'll get we'll, we'll again in a moment, is that there's a day coming when the God of justice will reconcile all things according to His holiness. And on that day, all things, not according to our standard, but His, will be brought to account. So here's our reality, reality check, if you're following with me in the, in the talk notes. Our reality check. Our calling from God has never had anything to do with what He allows or doesn't allow in the lives of other people. Our calling from God has never had anything to do with what He allows or doesn't allow in the lives of other people. Our calling is still our calling. The written word is still the written word. The promises are still the promises. That doesn't change based off of somebody else. Let's move on here. So so verse 16 in chapter 3 of Malachi. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, There's two groups of people. There's this first group that God is talking about uh, that consists of people complaining and questioning the value of living for God. It reminds me of the Israelites being taken out of captivity and Moses walking them through. And at, at first, they were ecstatic. They'd been saved. And then it seems like moments later, can we just go back to captivity? Can we put the chains back on? Because in my opinion... There's a better life for me. Understanding they do not know what lies ahead. So this is the first group. And now in this passage, uh, this part of Malachi, God is talking about now this second group, a group of people who revere the Lord. And they got together and repented. The promise of God continued to rest over them. And for us, we have to be able to evaluate. We've got to be able to look back with humility Removing our pride and say which group do I find myself in, and my guess is we kind of go back and forth. John Piper once said this uh, over this, over this specific passage. He contrasts verse fourteen uh, with the promise of seventeen. Contrast 14, right? 14 says, You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And he contrasts it with 17, which says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. So 14 says it's pointless to serve God. 17 says, God will count them his possession and spare them who serve him. There's a huge difference there, right? That's, this is about being in one of those two groups. It's a difference between the service of a son and the service of a slave. It's a difference between the younger brother and the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. The younger brother, broken and humbled, wanted to serve because he knew that to be at home with his father was the greatest blessing in the world all of his needs would be met while the elder brother had the mindset of a slave his mentality his mindset if anybody around here deserves a party it's me man how many times have we thought that the elder brother saying who has worked harder than anybody to earn such a blessing there's a formal Slavish service of god that thinks in terms of what it is contributing to the plantation and what the slave owner owes me That service is indeed in vain But there's another kind of service that thinks like a son and this is still piper's words There's another kind of servant that thinks like a son in the house of his father here is total security Here is food on the table here is Rest and recreation and love and education and inheritance and the fame and glory of my father. Why would I want to work anywhere else but here? That is the mindset of a true servant of God. And it leads us to our second reality check. Our response to God, so we, we talked earlier about our calling from God, has, has nothing to do with what God allows or doesn't allow in the lives of other people, this reality check, our response to God, has everything to do with our desire to serve Him and see Him with reverence. It has everything to do with our desire to serve Him and see Him with reverence. Let's move on to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming. Gosh, this is intense. What we're about to read is intense. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you, who fear my name, the Son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. And this leads us to our last reality check that you have in your talk notes, and this is a, this is a tough one judgment awaits us all. This is something I feel like um, America's church stays away from. Because it just doesn't draw people in. It just doesn't. It it doesn't draw people in because there's an incomplete understanding of Jesus. The many pastors are afraid to have this conversation. I, right now, am afraid to have this conversation. I haven't just like bypassed and said, right, this is comfortable. But it's a conversation worth having that I think all of God's children need to understand. The day is coming, and how you have responded to the greatness, how I have responded to the greatness and the majesty of God, will matter greatly in how you experience not only that day, but days to come. It's really easy, hear me when I say this, it's really easy for us right now in this church to read these words and believe that this is solely an issue affecting bad people. It's really easy for us to do that right now. This is an issue that, I hear what you're saying, judgment awaits us all, that's for the bad people. And and we reconcile, we justify that in our mind, but this is deeper than that. The issue on the table is between non-believers and believers. And I need to elaborate on that, and I will hear in a second, but non-believers and believers, people marked by the gospel and who are producing fruit in keeping with repentance, A believer and a non-believer those who are not marked by the gospel and are living according to a different standard I feel like this needs to be said again. I I feel like I need to to dive in just a little deeper The issue on the table is between non-believers and believers We look at these two groups that malachi that god's referring to in malachi the issue on the table is between non-believers and believers believers are people marked by the gospel and are producing fruit and keeping their repentance, and non-believers are those who are not marked by the gospel, and are living according to a different standard. My fear is that there are those in this very room, myself included, God's children, that will say, because I'm a believer, I'm good to go. And we have a definition of what it means to be a believer that is incomplete. My fear is that there are those that say, they are believers that those of us who say we are believers who are not marked by the gospel And are not producing fruit in keeping with repentance and are living according to a different standard I've had this conversation. I, I have this conversation with te- with students all the time uh, I, I get to the privilege of working at a high school and Anytime a, a teenager looks at me and says I feel like people just need to get out of my business I look at them and I say, okay, listen, I, this is the best way I can explain this to you. I want you to imagine. I did this with Emma the other day. I want you to imagine you're standing in the middle of the road. And as soon as I said this, she rolled her eyes because I've already said this to her before, right? And We do the same thing. But I want you to imagine you're in the middle of the road. And you're facing this way. And I'm here. And I see a bus coming. It's coming. It's a big bus too. It's coming. Your back is faced. You don't see it. And I'm not better because I'm here and I do see it. I just happen to see it. This bus is coming. What do you want me to do in this situation? Because I feel like you want me to let you be you. Okay, well, I guess she will just figure it out the hard way. I guess we'll just figure it out the hard way. And I look at her and I say, listen, as your dad, I cannot do that. I'm going to run full force and I'm going to tackle you as hard as I possibly can, hoping that I can do a spin move where you land on me. I'm not that good, but hopefully that's the way it works. And the bus drives by saving you. I believe that Malachi is not only talking to non believers, I believe he's looking at believers square in the eyes and saying, Listen, your view of being a believer is not marked on the gospel, it's not producing fruit, and it does live by a different set of standards. And I fear for you that there's a bus coming. And I want to do everything I can to jump. Whether you are mad at me when it's all said and done. Whether I tackled too hard, whatever it might be. I love you this much that I want to jump. We continue on in in chapter 4. Remember the law of my servant. Moses, this is verse 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses. So again, God is continuing to take us back and forth as we look back on who he's called us to be and what that means going forward. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him and whored for all Israel. Verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. 6 is so huge. Remember, this is the last verse that gets said for another 4 Hundred years and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest i come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction so god continues and he says come back and remember the way i've told you and called you to live the way i've taught you to respond to my greatness how i've commanded your best response And after verse 6, God will stay silent for over 400 years until we hear about a baby being born to a virgin. And we hear about John the Baptist who will prepare the way for Jesus. So there's four promises here. I just need to make sure we understand. God will hear those who fear him. So we need to hear this. God will hear those who fear him. God will remember those who fear him. God will spare those who fear him. The righteousness and unrighteousness will be distinguished. And that's what we're looking at today. The righteousness and unrighteous. Or the righteous and righteous will be distinguished. Last week, last week, Bag was talking about some things that in my life um, I struggled with. Last week, he, he talked a lot about tithe and offering. And I think, I think God uses tithe as, as a way of really revealing our hearts. This may be the most exposing part of our lives about where our priorities lie. I, 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 I needed, <laughs> I needed my wife's understanding of what an offering was, because for me it was a bill. It was right there under the AT and T bill. And my my for me it was just something that you did financially. It wasn't an, until my, my wife and her dad really challenged me on this. And I did not like it when they challenged me on this. I don't like it when the church talks about tithe at all. Um, because it just gets awkward. But I absolutely loved and hated that time in my life. Because there was, un, there was a, a misunderstanding that I had of what tithe was. It was not just a bill. Th- this is really why, one of the reasons. Because this doesn't just happen in tithing. It, t- it happens in worship. It happens in the way we see salvation. It happens in the way that we serve. John MacArthur spoke on this, and to me, the beauty of all this lies in the earth-shattering revelation of what takes place in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Grayson, if you'll bring that up. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him... We might become the righteousness of God. This is Second Corinthians 5.21. Grayson, keep that up for me. Okay, so we need to understand this. And John MacArthur really did kind of open my eyes to this. He, God, made Jesus to be sin. The one who was out sin was treated by God as if he was the one who committed every sin that has ever been committed. But in true factual understanding, he committed none of them. Not one. He was placed on a cross and without blemish, a spotless lamb, never for a second even being close to committing a sin, even though we read about his temptation. But God is treating Jesus in a practical sense as if Jesus lived my life and committed my sins and your sins. God punished Jesus for my sins and then he looks at me and says, you're forgiven I've been paid in full. That is the gift and doctrine of substitution. And it changed everything about the church and paved the way for worship, tithe, offering, salvation, not to be restricted to temples, but to now be done anywhere and any time. And it calls for our whole hearts and not just giving God our almost best. I don't know where, I don't know where in your hearts and in your lives where you celebrate this and then you have a gut check on it. I don't know. But my prayer is that at this point, for 400 years, God goes silent. And his children are left with a decision. We are left with a decision. And Malachi's warning is, don't give God your almost best. And as Jesus dies on a cross for our sins, we're now called to live in the Spirit, not to give our almost best. And, I, and I'm, I'm hit with this all the time. And I desperately need the people that God's put in my life to help me understand this more and more. And I desperately need to walk with the Holy Spirit as I pursue what this means in my life. And I desperately need this as I teach my daughters what salvation really means. Our desire this week is to love God by loving people. Let's pray. Father, your salvation, your healing hands, your mending of our hearts is something we continually need. Father, sin has broken us. It is convoluted what truth actually is. It's the serpent questioning Eve. Did God really tell you that you're going to die? And then us responding through the lens of this world, through the lens of our agendas, our egos, our pride, Father, I pray that we would take Malachi's word, God's conversation with the people, with his children, and understand what they mean for us through the lens of you teaching them. God, I lift up the Gary family right now. as they mourn the loss of a father, of a husband. But they celebrate an eternity in heaven with you. The greatest gift we could ever receive. I pray that you're with them this week, that your hand of peace is over them. And that you would walk with them through this. I pray for this church. I pray that it would be our desire to pursue a true understanding of you. That it wouldn't be about our definition of salvation. It wouldn't be about our definition of what it means to give our hearts to you. It would be about an understanding, biblically, of what you've called us to. And that has everything to do with our reverence for you. Father, we can't pray to a small Savior and expect big things. I pray that it is our desire to be humbled in Your greatness, in Your healing powers, in Your substitution, in Your sacrifice, that we would walk in a true understanding of that and that we would not settle for giving our almost best. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. You guys are dismissed. I hope you have a blessed week. We'll see you next Sunday.